Let us pray first. Heavenly Father, we come in your presence as a body, body of Christ, surrendering to you and to you alone. As that song we were singing, those convictions, those statements of faith, that we believe in the Father, we believe in the Son, believe in the Holy Spirit, that you are enough, you are our God, you are our refuge. Lord, lead us through your truth, by your truth, and your light. Those who are going and battling through dark times, Lord, may you be their refuge, their fortress. And as we read the passage today, may you encourage them, encourage us to build up better faith, stronger faith in you. Not on man, not on on the world, but in you, Jesus. You are the Savior of our souls. You are the captain of our lives. Thank you, Jesus, for your wonder, wonderful sacrifice. And it is in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Beloved, today we will, I will be preaching today on Psalm 43, verses 1 to 5. It's a very short passage. But before we begin, I want to give a background to the psalm so that we may understand the psalmist. In ancient Hebrew theology, it was believed that chapter 43 was inseparable to chapter 42. As a matter of fact, old Hebrew manuscripts had them put them together. The author is unknown. Many theologians allude that the, the psalmist is, in this passage is a worship leader. He is writing a song to be sang by God's people. Chapter 42's title says, To the choir master, if you look it up in your Bibles, a mascal of the sons of Korah. Now the sons of Korah oversaw worship, especially in song form. Second Chronicles 20.19 gives us a glimpse of this man. He reads, And the Levites of the Kohathites and the Korahites stood up to praise the Lord, the God of Israel, with a very loud voice. So we know that this song or this masquerade was written for the worship leaders of God's people to sing. Now we know that these two chapters might have been closely related, written by the same author even, um, and even maybe would have, would have been a one song altogether because they both shared themes throughout their verses. One that comes to mind and is very famous is, you probably recognize it, why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Now, I will preach on chapter 43, but I will use chapter 42 to help us understand the author's dilemma, his internal affliction. Here we find ourselves a man that has been captured by a ruthless and mocking nation. He has been separated from God's people. Worst of all, they've taken from him the ability to praise God. That is his utmost joy. This man has lost all joy and is finding himself in the valleys of shadows and death. He's so afflicted that he says in chapter 43, verse, uh, verse 3, My tears have been my food day and night. This is, a, this is a severely depressed man. 
his external circumstances battle with his internal convictions about God, his beliefs. He's barely clinging to God. He yearns to worship God, but the darkness that surrounds him cripples his very being. Now, I don't know if you've ever experienced what this man has experienced before, but he's going through a spiritual depression. That is what we're going to preach on today. Let's read the passage. Chapter 43, very short. Vindicate me, O God, and defend my cause against an ungodly people. From the deceitful and unjust men, deliver me. Why? For, the, for you are the God in whom I take refuge. Why have you rejected me? Why do I go about mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? Send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God, my exceeding joy. And I will praise you with the lyre, O God, my God. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him. My, my salvation and my God. Now, this passage, passage gives us a glimpse of how men and women of God feel when their faith is shaken by trials, tribulations, and physical or mental illnesses. Theologians understand that the psalmist is experiencing a deep spiritual depression. Immediately when we read the passage, we see something peculiar and different from any other psalm. This man is having an internal conversation with himself. He's talking to himself. Oh, how deeply depressed must this man be to have this mental and spiritual struggle? He even questions God in the process. Why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? Chapter 42, verse 9. Why have you rejected me? Chapter 43, verse 2. This man is struggling with his beliefs. Now, he knows that God has not forsaken him. But it is how he feels. Spiritual depression is real. And it doesn't matter how much we like to deny it. Spiritual depression is as real as a bodily injury or a wound. It is very real to, for the oppressed. It is so real that at times, those who are oppressed with spiritual depression say unbiblical things. Not because they are ungodly, but because they are consumed with pain and despair. So if you're here today and you have a loved one who suffers from spiritual despair and anguish, spiritual depression, please don't be too quick to judge what they say when they're going through their pain and suffering. Don't try to fix those who you love with imprudent and insensible remarks. Job himself responding to his friends when they were reproving his words, he said this in, ch in chapter 6.26, You think that you can reprove words when the speech of a despair man is wind. It's nothing to God. Charles Spurgeon, who suffered deeply from depression, said this. Some say to you, oh, you should not feel like this. They tell you, oh, you should not speak such words, nor think such thoughts. Ah, the heart knoweth its own bitterness, and a stranger intermeddleth not therewith. Aye, and I will improve upon it, nor a friend either. 
It is not easy to tell how another ought to feel and how another ought to, ought to act. Our minds are differently made, each in its own mold. Each mold is broken afterwards, and there shall never be another like it. We're all different, each one of us. But I am sure there is one thing in which we're all brought to unite in times of deep sorrow, namely, in a sense of helplessness. That is exactly the sense someone feels when they are in spiritual depression. A sense of helplessness. That God has forgotten them. That God has not, does not love them. They must have done something sinful to deserve such punishment and torment. That's the lies sometimes we believe when we're there. Don't we? Beloved, as Charles Spurgeon, Spurgeon mentioned, there is one thing that brings us all together to unite us in time of deep sorrow. When things are so dark that we cannot make sense of things. And that is truth. As Christ said, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. You must believe that. What a true statement. It is the truth about God, the gospel, and the future promise that guides this psalmist out of his misery. So far, all we've heard from the psalmist in chapter 42 is how deeply afflicted he is. But in chapter 43, verse 3, he gives us the solution for his troubles. And he said, send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. I've titled this sermon, Let Truth and Light Bring You Out of Darkness. I want to give a little disclosure before I begin. I want to get, um, Not all depression comes from spiritual depression. Depression is complex, and I don't want to, and I don't intend to define it. If you have been diagnosed with chronic or clinical depression, please follow your instructions of your health care providers or counselors. If medication is what heals your afflicted body or mind, please continue to do so. Let those means of grace help you. What I'm about to preach is on spiritual depression, on which only spiritual things will calm the soul. Therefore, I would not recommend any medical advice. I am a preacher, and therefore I must try to preach the passage and let God's word heal. My three points this morning are, number one, your deliverance from spiritual depression is only found in God. Verse one and two. Number two, the gospel is the source of true joy amid spiritual depression. Number three, spiritual depression is temporal. The worship of God is forever. Let's get to point number one. Your deliverance from spiritual depression is, is only found in God. And that, what a true sta- statement that is. This may be an obvious point. That God is our only true deliverer amidst our depression. But it is a truth that we might take for granted when we go through our moments of darkness. Although the psalmist is fully drowning in his inconsolable tears, he manages to give us truth. He's able to speak to himself the most profound truths about our God. Verse 1 and 2, he asked God for vindication and to defend him, defend him his cause from the deceitful man and the unjust man. In his time of trouble, he shows signs of seeds of joy that he once experienced. He sees objectively that God is the supreme Savior. 
that God is supremely valuable and Christ out for deliverance and restoration of true joy. There is a great principle here. That although he was mocked by his enemies, asking him, where is your God? Instead of believing the lie, he immediately draws near to God by reminding himself that God has been his rescuer once before. He is his fortress. And that is the truth. The psalmist chooses to believe the truth about God rather than the lie. That God has abandoned him. That's a lie. There's a choice to be made. And even though he questions God, and he's not in the peak of of his faith, he still clings to who God is. Giving him hope. And not hope in himself. He knows that there is no hope in any other than God himself. He does not trust in the might and power of man to rescue him. He knows that men are faulty. And they are footstools to God. Jeremiah 17.5 Thus says the Lord, Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength. Now this man's convictions are being tested in times of anxiety and depression. The reason why he doesn't totally falters is because his biblical theologies about God are the correct ones. Beloved, when we are most weak, that's when our beliefs are put to the test. And what we, what we believe about our God will determine whether we draw near or pull back from Him. Martin, Martin Lloyd-Jones said this, The ultimate cause of all spiritual depression is unbelief. I couldn't agree with him more. Unbelief in God, in who He is, will lead the believer to further sinking in darkness. Our lack of belief will draw us near to false saviors. See, this man did not dry his sorrows away by drinking alcohol. Nor did he nourish his flesh in pornography. Nor does he think that money will be able to rescue him from his troubles. No, he says, for you are the God in whom I take refuge. Even in the valley, the psalmist knows that God is the only one that can take him to the mountaintop. To joy in the Lord. See, he lets his theology about God to be the tool to rescue him. When thousands of thoughts, lies, and deceits try to drown him. He doesn't trust in himself, in his own wisdom. He doesn't try to project in his mind something that can be or will be. No. He doesn't give himself those positive reinforcement talks that, oh, I will be better. He doesn't doesn't do that. He relies on truths. On whom God is. He talks to himself. He doesn't hear the nonsense the lies and the deceits. He practiced speaking to himself and not listening to himself. There's a difference. See, because within our fleshly weakened minds, all we have is deceit. So if we start listening to ourselves, all that we hear is pettiness about ourselves. Oh, God owes me happiness. Why am I here? Why am I in this state of mind? Remember that the heart is deceitful above all things. 
and desperately sick, who can understand it? That's our heart deceitful. And if we listen to our hearts, what we want, not going to get us anywhere. God will. So are we to trust ourselves above God, whose understanding and infinite wisdom, mercy, and grace are infinite beyond ours? 1 Corinthians 1.25 says, For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. Not that God has any weaknesses. This is figure of speech, of course. Are we to trust ourselves, our own mind? I doubt it. This man allows what he has learned about God in the spirit to call unto God. In chapter 42, 7, he, his spirit cries to God. Listen, deep calls to deep. This means that the deepness of his need is met with the deepness of God's grace, mercy, promises, character, and attributes. In essence, his needs are met only in God. He relies in God's promises that he has not forsaken us or abandoned us. That's so important and crucial when we're there in spiritual depression. As Christ promised, and behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the ages. Matthew 28, 20. And the key word here is always. He did not say, I will be with you in good times or when I can spare my time. No, he says, I will be with you when? Always. Even in depression. That is the truth about God. He is faithful. That, that's why he can say, the psalmist, in, to his soul in verse 5, Hope in God, my salvation and my God. Because he is faithful. He will rescue. And he's able to. He can only declare the statement of truth in his times of need by having a proper expectation of the gospel. Now, this leads me to my second point this morning. The gospel is the source of true joy amidst spiritual depression. Verses 3 and 4. So in verses 3 and 4, we find that the psalmist, for the first time, giving us a solution for his troubles. He says, send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling. Then I will go to the altar of God to God, my exceeding joy, and I will praise you with the lyre, O God, my God. Ultimately, what he wants is to be freed of bondage, to praise God freely, to find joy in the Lord. Interesting enough, though, the psalmist, although asking to be vindicated from his enemies, seems to know that he might not be freed physically, but he can set his mind free from torment and turn back to worshiping the Lord. That is his main concern. He asked God to give him clarity of mind and soul to enjoy once more singing his praises. How he asked God to free him and deliver him is very encouraging to us. He says, send out your light and truth. Let them lead me. Only someone that has a high expectation of the gospel and God's word will encounter this sort of freedom. We know that truth and light are synonymous with God's word and especially the gospel. 
Psalm 119, 105 says, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. And we know that God's own words are truth, are the truth. Psalms 119, 160, all your words are true. And in Ephesians 1.13, after listening to the message of truth, which message is that? The gospel of salvation. So truth and light is the gospel, is God's word. And he's asking God to deliver him through the word, through the gospel. So in other words, the psalmist relies in the gospel message or God's words to set him free. To set him free from the darkness of depression and anxiety. The psalmist does not use the gospel as an excuse to ask for an easy life or to live his best life now. He doesn't do that. He has, the, a, he has a high standard of the gospel. He knows what the gospel is. See, his expectations of the, house, the gospels are so high that he understands that, that in his fallenness, he needs a savior, a rescuer. While it is within his right to ask for vindication of his external circumstances, he understands the greater need of his soul. This is a man that has not been promised false expectations of the gospel. He understands that when he came to the knowledge of the gospel and accepted uh, his Savior as his own, there is a cost to pay. Christ said, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up the cross and follow me. In other words, count the cost. It will cost you everything. And it may be that your cost at time is spiritual depression. Could be. That could be your thorn. Could be it. Carry the cross. That's what the gospel promises. Nothing else. This is why we ought to believe the complete vastness of the gospel. To sustain us and carry us through. If you have believed some truth, some truth, about the gospel and not all of it let me tell you you are in a world of hurts I promise you this is why it's so important to have gospel clarity in our minds so important it is only the gospel in the gospel that we find truth to set us free John 8.32 then you will know the truth in other words the gospel and the truth will set you what? free The gospel reminds you the real reason for your sufferings. That is not, it's not that you have sinned against God. No, you already have been liberated from the wrath of God because of the sacrifice of Christ at the cross. That's not why you're suffering. The reason you suffer depression is because although you have, been, you have a new creation in the spirit, your body is still awaiting the, its glorification in the second coming of the Lord. It's your flesh. This weak, wicked body of ours. And the gospel puts suffering in its right, right perspective, doesn't it? That God does not waste suffering. And that every time you suffer, you are being made more like Christ. Your suffering has purpose. Your depression has purpose. That He's working all things for your good. And that, and that that good work that he started in you, he will finish it. That is the gospel. The gospel is working even when we are so depressed and we don't feel God. That is when we grow. 
Charles Spurgeon said about depression, depression of spirit is no index for declining grace. The very loss of joy and absence of, of assurance may be accompanied by the greatest advancement in the spiritual life. If your idea of the gospel is that God, God's will for your life is to bless you and to keep your bank account full, and that God is this genie in a bottle that is working 24-7 to meet your demands, got it wrong. I pray that you get rid of such anathema, for that is a different gospel. For today, the gospel that is preached is as soft as a charming toilet paper, watered down, tickling of the ears. That gospel will lead you to destruction as soon as calamity comes, and believe me, it will come. Beloved, it is God's will that you are sanctified. 1 Thessalonians 4.3 And God uses suffering and depression to lead you to learn to be obedient. Our Lord Himself learned to be obedient through suffering according to Hebrews 5.8. Although He was a son, He learned obedience through what He suffered. So if our Lord suffered, are we not to suffer? Right gospel perspective. Don't lose sight of that amidst your depression. The great battle of our day is the battle for truth. We live in a world that is full of noise, full of deceit and lies. It is no coincidence that the spiritual, de- that spiritual depression is on the rise amongst believers. It is calculated by some polls that 7 million believers suffer from, from some type of depression. That is alarming. And often Christians fall into depression by paying more attention to the noise rather than to the gospel of peace. We suffer depression at times because we conform to some degree to the world rather than the promises of the gospel. We only find joy amidst our suffering by believing the true gospel and God's words. Famous writer Isaac Watts writing a hymn about suffering, wrote this beautiful piece of work. Listen closely. How long wilt thou conceal thy face? My God, how long delay? When shall I feel those heavenly rays that chase my fears away? How long shall my poor laboring soul wrestle and, and toil in vain? Thy word can all my foes control. And ease my raging pain. It is only in the gospel that God's, and God's word that we can find true joy amidst our suffering. We take that so lightly. Take it for granted. Point number three. Spiritual depression is temporal. The worship of God is forever. Psalm 43 ends in a somber note. It is not certain whether the psalmist is freed from, his, from the oppression of his enemies. We don't know that. And certainly, there is no reason to believe that his depression was taken away from him. We just don't know. He ends his song talking to his soul. He's still in pain and continues to talk to himself about the future hope he has. But he ends the psalm in hope. Hope in God, for I shall again praise him. My salvation 
and my God. In his depression, the psalmist remembers how he led God's people to worship. In chapter 42, verse 4, he says, These things I remember as I pour out my soul. How I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise. A multitude keeping festival. There is something so mysterious, yet so amazing about worshiping God with God's people. It is obvious that this is what the psalmist wants more than any other thing. He wants to one day worship God with a multitude of peoples. There's something to be said here. If there is something that calms and gives peace to the soul, is the worship of God. And it's funny that when we're depressed, that is the least thing we wanted to do. The fight is real, I know. We must never forget to praise our Lord, because that's where we find, find peace in our hearts. Worship puts our focus in the right place, putting eternal things into perspective. Worship takes us in spirit to travel through time to that time where worship will be forever. But when we worship here as a congregation, this is preparation for what we will do in eternity one day. Think of that. Take worship with the saints serious. The best thing you can do when you are going through depression is to worship. It reminds us that we're not from this world. That we are just sojourners in this world. And I know our brother Troy is the biggest, you know, you're renting here pretty much. You just want, you want your lease to be done and to go home. I love that attitude. Because we're not from this world. Another thing that worship does is satisfies our souls. It lifts the spirit to where it ought to be in its proper place. It nourishes the spirit to speak joyful worship and have a joyful lip. David, being a man of depression, knew that worship would carry him through and bring him closer to God. Psalm 63, 1-5, David, when he was in the wilderness of Judah, said this, O God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you. As in a dry and weary land where there is no water, so I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory, because of your steadfast love is better than life. My lips will praise you, so I will bless you as long as I live. In your name I lift up my hands, my soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food, and my mouth will praise you with joyful lips. David understood something about his depression. That it was temporal. And that the worship of God is everlasting. In your depression, don't take for granted to gather with believers and worship. It is at that moment that God restores the soul. Gives them strength to continue to another day. Because this is not a, a race. Sometimes depression may be prolonged. And we need moments of grace. And it's here, in the congregation, when we worship, that we find grace. To be restored at least for another day. 
and then another day, and then another day. That's what we've been called to. Remember, weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes with the morning. Psalm 35. And I know that the night might seem seem long and never-ending, but in the gospel we have the promise that the morning will come. And that that day when our champion comes back to restore all that is broken, heal all the broken minds and hearts, he will set things right. That is our hope. Your tears are not wasted by God. They're not. So don't waste them either. Suffer well. Worship God amidst your troubles because he doesn't forget any tears and he will reward them one day. Psalm 56a says, You have kept count of my tossings. Put my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your book? God knows every single tear you're going through when you're going through depression. I'm sorry. He knows. He's with you. He'll count them all. There is purpose in your tears. And Revelation 21.4, He will wipe away every tear from your eyes. And death shall be no more. Neither shall be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. That's eternal. And that's the right perspective. You're suffering now. Yes, suffer well. This is my conclusion. I hope that you may never experience spiritual depression. I hope. That is my hope. If you have and have struggled with it for a, for a season or, may, or many seasons, maybe, I encourage you to continue the good fight. Sometimes our Lord does not take away the thorns at our sides, but rely in His faithfulness. He's a good God. And all that He allows in your life, He has control over. He's supremely valuable and merciful. He will see you through, either in this life or the next. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, I don't know who's listening. I, I, I really don't. You are a merciful God. You are the God that we need. You're so great. Lord, allow us to believe the truth about you, who you are. You are our Father. And when we come in prayer, we come asking, we know you're listening. We may hear, may never hear the answers we want. We never, maybe you, you're saying no today. Maybe you are prolonging uh, depression, agony. But we know that your word is true and it says that you are doing something. You're working something within us, within our hearts. Lord, I pray that you will allow truth today to refresh our minds. Keep that refreshed throughout the week. When negative thoughts, deceived eyes come to our minds, Lord, may truth be quickly there to comfort us, to come and rescue us. Because the truth is that although we are in depression, we are your children. We have been redeemed. We have been saved. Death has doesn't have a stronghold on, in us no more. And that is because of the cross, what Jesus did at the cross, 
and we hold on to the cross, we hold on to Christ, Lord, help us. Help us through our trials. Sanctify us. Also, I would, Lord, I would ask that the, the church would come together and administer to others that are suffering. That, Lord, create that culture of clarity and openness that brothers and sisters could come out and say, I am suffering from depression. Would you pray for me, Lord, that we ask this of you. You love your children. And we know that you won't leave them behind. That depression is nothing to you. The love, you're the God of joy. Lord, be with us throughout the week, and I hope this message has encouraged someone. It is in your name that we pray. Amen.